when you get to 45 years old, you, you start to say, at the end of my life, I'm going to make a series of conclusions. And knowing that, you can say, well, what would be some conclusions I don't want to wind up with? At the end of your life, you'll say, I wish I would have spent more time on my health. I wish I would have taken better care of my hygiene. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have spent more time in nature. I wish I would have read more books. Like you'll say, I wish I would have. And so at 45, at the halfway point or wherever you are, knowing what these conclusions are likely to be, you can make some halftime adjustments and say, well, I'm not going to get to 80 and say that. And this comes into play a lot as entrepreneurs, because if I dedicate everything I've got to my company and I give nothing to my soul, I don't fill up my cup in other ways. I'm going to be upset that all I'm doing is giving other people money. When I'm 80 years old, I'm just going to be handing other people a bunch of money. That's right. Saying, I wish, you know, for them to go live life yeah. and wish that I would have actually lived life. Hey, it's Emily here. You know that uniqueness you have? I call it the it factor. We all have it, but some of us either really need to identify it or start to empower it. This show is all about giving you the lessons, tools, and principles I've learned after building a nine-figure sales organization, training leaders around the globe, and working alongside of some of the most influential people in this world. So now it's time to de-plug from your outside world and plug in to your new world here. Let's dive in. Today is a very special day. I am here with a man that I have actually watched for over a decade. I don't think he even knows it. He led a company to almost $2 billion in sales, had an exit for just under $800 million. But not only that, he has evolved as a man. He has done so much great work. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's a father. He's an inspiration. He's a serial entrepreneur. Brian Blair, thank you for being here. Wow, thank you, Emily. I didn't know you'd watch me for a decade. I did. Now I'm nervous. I've, no, I've <laughs> known of you. I watched you, me being in the network marketing space for a long time. You crushed it over there. But I've just seen you just transform and just continue to evolve. Thank you. Yeah, I would love for you to share your story. Um, well, you know, do you want the two-hour version or the 10-minute yeah. version? You know, I... I had a lot of adversity growing up, um, and I think that's what's made me a good entrepreneur is that I lived in an environment where my parents didn't meet my needs. You know, my mom was uh, addicted to alcohol. My dad was addicted to drugs. Mm. And uh, God bless them. They're, they're no longer with us, so yeah. I speak very, high, very highly of them. But, you know, I had to endure some hardship growing up, and uh, by the time I was 13 years old, I wound up being involved with the bad set of kids, got involved in a gang. I was in and out of juvenile hall, in and out of trouble growing up, dropped out of high school. And uh, by the time I was 17 years old, I was heading to prison. I was looking at four years in jail. And a judge granted me leniency after I wrote him a letter. And he told me that I should be writing in college, not in prison. And that changed my life. So I first time ever a person with authority actually saw something in me. And I said to myself, I'm going to be a writer. And now I'm here today, a writer and entrepreneur. And the judge played a huge role in that. Wow. That's incredible. And where was that? Los Angeles area. In Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. So you've always lived in LA. Born and raised. Yeah. Okay. Never left. 
Okay. So, well, I left her a little bit. I hit the road a lot when I built my last company, but then yeah. I also uh, relocated to Detroit to build a headquarters there. But other than that, a couple of years away from home, I've, I've always been right here. Okay. So great. Tell me a little bit about you building your first company. What was that like? Well, I've always been entrepreneurially inclined. When you're in a yeah. gang, it's <laughs> actually an illegal enterprise. Okay. It's very entrepreneurial. Yes. So I knew how to make money on the streets. My racket on the streets was stealing and reprogramming computers. And so when I started my career at about 18, 19 years old, I got into the computer field and it was just taking off at the time. This was web 1.0. Okay. And so I had an opportunity to participate in that boom. And I started my first company when I was about 20 years old and it was just doing computer repair. And then from there I got into what's called mobile broadband wireless okay. and built a wireless network. And that was a pretty big success. And that became a venture capital funded company and went on to about a $25 million company when I was 24. Wow. And then from there I started a few other ventures and then that led me to start Vaisalis and a couple other companies from there. So tell me a little bit about Body by Vi, Vaisalis. I remember the 90-day challenge. It was going off everywhere. What was that like? Well, so Vaisalis is an interesting story. The two co-founders were involved in network marketing. They had been working with a person that owned a company, and it wasn't a very well-run company. And so they brought me in to actually help do more official finance, CEO, strategy, you know, traditional business-related stuff because mm -hmm. they were very skilled in marketing and sales in the industry. And so I was very skilled at raising money, strategy, setting up boards, you know, building yeah. the infrastructure of a business. So I was brought on to do that. The company was doing 20000 a month when I came aboard. And then we scaled it to $65 million a month when we exited. So wow. I was involved uh, with it for 12 years. And then it went on to be ran by one of the co-founders after I left. And they went on and it ended up being sold to another company not too long ago. Mm, wow. What did you learn from being involved oh, in that space? I, I could write 10 books about it. So I, yeah. I was involved for 12 years. So you certainly learn about volunteer work, volunteer army. Yes. You learn about leadership. You learn about yourself. And I could tell you that on a personal note, I didn't understand the level of leadership that it, I was required of me and that I was called to mm. as a result of the role. Um, you know, when you have tens of thousands of people following your every word and listening to everything that comes out of your mouth, yes. and in our case, we had millions of people, that's a high level of leadership that I don't think I was ready for. And so, you know, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I wasn't paying close attention to my character and my standard of it as an individual. Mm. I was more... I think pursuing the win and the victory and yeah. building and breaking records and making money. I wasn't necessarily there to lead people. I was there to, you know, try to break records and compete and make money. So I've, I've learned a lot and it was a humbling experience, truthfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I, I appreciate your honesty in that. And I, I became a millionaire when I was 26 and I, you know, got a Bentley and did the things and I love all that. Yeah. Listen, I love money, you know? But I got lost along the way for a minute as well. And I had to really humble myself through hardship. And I feel like you can either be broken or broken open. Mm -hmm. And it just helps you learn and grow. What are some things that you did like to grow to emerge? Like, did you hit a rock bottom? Was it just like, yeah. you know? 
Well, I'm I'm like the subject matter expert on rock bottoms. <laughs> I wrote my book is called Rock Bottom. So yeah. the answer is yes. Um, I I've had a number of different types of rock bottoms, and what I've come to learn, you know, I've always been very spiritual, but I disconnected from that. I I was chasing worldly things. I was chasing yeah. monetary, financial, ego related things. Yeah. And the more that I did that, the more disconnected I was from my faith. And as a result of that, you know, I had to fall into crisis to regain a connection to my faith. Mm. And that's why everyone goes through crisis is because their soul is on a journey. And all of a sudden it says, wake up. This way of living is not the way of living that you showed up here to live. And you have to make some corrective measures. Unfortunately, when most people hit the rock, you know, think of the rock as like God. When you hit that rock, that's when you really get to know God when you humble yourself, when you're vulnerable. Unfortunately, when most people hit the rock, they want to put it back together the way it was mm. because they just wish things would go back the yeah. way it was. They wish the marriage would be back the way yeah. it was. They wish the finances would be back. They don't put it back together differently. Yeah. So once you hit that rock bottom, the key is, is to leave behind the pieces that didn't resonate and align with your soul's mission mm. and to rebuild it in a new way and to step into a new version of you, a higher version of mm. you. And so that's what I've done each and every single time. And as a result, the experiences that I've had, I'm actually grateful for because each and every single one of them taught me, you know, key lessons and wisdom about myself Mm. that I now carry with me. And I left behind the things that weren't serving me and the things that caused the crisis in the first place. Yeah. Like realigning with your values. Or even just even defining and learning things like morality. Yeah. You know, the way I was raised in the environment that I was raised in, we didn't have any morality. We did, we stole, we robbed, we hurt people. It was violence. That was the morality. It was kill or be killed. That was the way I was raised. So while I didn't bring that into the boardroom, I still had the DNA of that inside of me. And so part of my spiritual journey has been to look closely at those shadows and ask myself some deep questions and try to transform that darkness into light and to reconcile the past and the mistakes that I've made. But, you know, I was involved in very violent, very um, difficult way of living. And, you know, I lived in that environment. It's like I lived in the darkest of dark, basically. And Mm -hmm. so even though I transformed as an entrepreneur and I reinvented myself, I still carried with me, you know, some negativity that I didn't quite understand until, Mm -hmm. you know, I got to the place where, I was able to do a deep look at that and make some corrective changes. Did you have a mentor guide you through? Uh, other than my faith, you know, yeah. I, you know, I got to say that I'm a spiritual person. So yeah. God, Jesus, you know, those are my mentors. Yeah. Um, I've had a number of different mentors, though. Yeah. Um, on the spiritual side, I've had great mentors that have walked with me. I've had mentors in business. I've had great coaches invest in me. My whole life is about mentorship. So yeah. everything that I, I have today, the wisdom that I, that I stand on the shoulders of came from other individuals. Wow. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, have you like, I mean, I think about you going from gangs to getting in business. Like, did you seek out mentorship? Did you read books? Like, what did that look like? How did you discover your genius? Because I do consider you a genius. Thank you. Um, so I, I guess the attitude that I had was when I met people that had something that I wanted, 
I would reverse engineer everything that I could find out about them. Yeah. I would interview their team members. I would stalk them. I, back in those days, we didn't have Instagram and YouTube. Right. You know, I would literally be reading any article I could find about them, interviewing team members, trying to get them on the phone, writing them letters. And on occasion, one would, you know, grace me with an opportunity to spend time with them. And when that happened, I took it so seriously. To me, it was life or death. This person had information that I needed a piece of the puzzle for me to put together the life that I wanted to put together. Mm. It's so huge. I feel like nobody does that. Like, you know, it's like, like even when I speak, I prepare and people are like, you know how to speak. What are you doing? And I'm like, because I would rather be over prepared and over deliver, you know? And then I feel like when you know the information, you can let your spirit guide you more because you're more confident, Yeah, you know? Well, it's the difference between being a professional and being an amateur. Uh-oh. You know, the amateur doesn't prepare. The professional prepares. Yeah. And that's in anything. If you want to be, we pay people to be professionals in our society. We pay people that have spent countless hours practicing and perfecting a level of mastery in their craft that we're in awe of watching them. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to make great income in life, you have to become a master of something. Yeah. And if you're a public speaker, as you just described, you have to replay the tape. You have to be your biggest critic. You have to, you know, prepare. You have to get better each and every single time. That's your craft. That's yeah. your level of mastery. I, there have been times where I allowed my ego to say, I don't need to prepare. I'm just going to show up. And when you have momentum in life, you don't have to prepare so much because momentum is doing all the work for you. So true. But when you don't have momentum is when you learn the value of preparation. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the practices that I've carried with me even now that I am back in momentum, you know, as I prepare, even now that I have momentum, I prepare as though I don't because Mm -hmm. I want to show up and do my very best for God and do my very best for my higher self Mm -hmm. and know that I can make the impact that I'm, you know, called to make. Mm, That's so good. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. When did you turn to God more? And what does that even look like? You know, people hear that they're like, it's esoteric, you know, what does that look like for you? And, and something I've really noticed about you, it's like you are so strong. You're such a, you're masculine, but you have so much vulnerability and you're able to oscillate between the both. And I feel like it draws people in and really gets to people's hearts. Thank you. Yeah. The, I've always had a relationship with God. Every adversity that I'd ever been through, I prayed my way out of it. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. I didn't understand how it worked. I, I didn't educate myself. I wasn't educated on it. So I would have an adversity, God would show up, and then I'd forget like how it all went down. And I'd think, oh, that must be me. That must be that I'm so smart and I'm so brilliant. And I'd listen to what people would say. And so, you know, I didn't understand how to maintain a relationship, an active relationship with God. I would have it. I would disconnect. I'd have it again. I'd disconnect. And that pattern of self-sabotage, many people find themselves in all the time. Yeah. And so when I started to look at my pattern and look at how it all worked and really reflect on my life and the key experiences where I could feel true divine intervention, and I started to realize, wow, these were the moments when I was pure and when I was vulnerable, when my heart was open, when my ego was down. And I started thinking to myself, how could I construct a way of being where I could live a more vulnerable, less ego-driven life and have a deeper connection and a deeper relationship with God Mm. so that I'm not disconnecting constantly and reconnecting. I'm not having to 
constantly go through crisis to be able to, you know, build the characteristics and strengths that I'm capable of building. You know, we basically have two teachers in this room. We have the teacher of suffering and we have the teacher of the light, basically. Mm. And so I was signing up for the professor suffering all day long. (laughs) And that was all, that was the only way I learned. And when I got some light, I would sabotage it and have to go back to suffering. And so I just started saying to myself, like, I don't want to learn from suffering anymore. I want to learn each, when times are good and I'm doing well, I want to learn even more. Mm. And when suffering comes, I want it to only be here for a short period of time and extract the lessons that it's intended to teach me and move on quickly. Mm. Wow. Wow. I deeply resonate with all of that. I, I, cause I tend to be, when things start going great, I'm like, I self-sabotage, mm-hmm. you know, or I, I got to create chaos. Yeah. That's like my, what I do because yeah. I'm like, it's flowing too much. So we got to create chaos. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> you create chaos just because you do too much. So, yeah. you know, you might have a good thing going and you add five other things to your life and now you're split in 10 different directions as opposed to, you know, wow, I had something really good here. It might, you know, it was maximizing my productivity and my generosity. Those are the two dials that we have to you know, maximize. We have mm-hmm. to have great productivity and we have to have great generosity. And our generosity has to be with ourselves first, mm. our families, and then, you know, our faith. And then, you know, people that aren't necessarily paying us or, you know, we have to be generous in this world in order to yeah. be fulfilled. Yeah. And so if you can really have a lifestyle built around both those two dials and you're constantly optimizing mm-hmm. those, you'll be happy. Yeah. How do you figure out where to put your time now? trial and error. Like, yeah. like just, but yeah. I, you know, I'm much, I'm very intentional about it. My productivity is based on the fact that I consciously eliminate anything that distracts me from my soul's mission and purpose. Mm. That could be the news, that could be social media, that could be caffeine, that could be alcohol, that could be meat, like whatever it is that I deem to be a hindrance on my mission, I con- consciously restrict that to make the space to then add the things that I need to do. Mm. Most people, we have our space completely filled up and we have no room for the new goals, the new ideas, the new creativity. Right. And so you have to have plenty of space made for that. And so I utilize this force called restriction to constantly make the space necessary for me to call in new things into my life. Mm. So good. Is it hard for you to like say no and have a day of just... I'm going to think today, or has that gotten easier with age? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, is it hard for me to say no? You know, I have to remind myself to say no. And there's a key yeah. principle that Steve Jobs used to say that resonated with me. And that is that focus is saying no. So uh, it's my job to say no. Mm-hmm. And when a person presents to me a million dollar opportunity, I pride myself in saying no, because I'm pursuing opportunities that are far greater than a million dollars. But what happens is you see a million dollars, you jump from your hundred million dollar opportunity, and next thing you know, you're pursuing a million dollar opportunity. So you have to stay the course, you have to be grounded, and you have to really understand and believe in the opportunity that you're building, and not allow shiny objects and all of the other things Mm -hmm. that come our way in society 
to tempt you yes. away from doing the work that you're called to do. Mm, yeah. I always say you have to be the rock in the river. Mm. And I feel like a lot of people right now that I know they could crush it. They could make an impact, but they keep jumping from thing to thing to thing. And I'm like, you're never going to get the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. Yeah. You're never going to put in the reps yeah. if you keep doing that. Do you see that a lot? I do. And the entrepreneurs that I, I mentor, I'm on the boards of another yeah. number of companies and I also serve some nonprofits. I think the common theme in my conversations with them is, you know, we need to focus. And, and the formula I use is simple. I focus 70% of my energy on the core of the business. So the core offering of the business, 20% on things that are adjacent to the core. Okay. Might be verticalization. And then 10% on venture bets outside the core. So if, if this is a venture bet, if you brought to me an idea mm -hmm. to launch a new country, for example, at Alter Call, my company, I'd be like, that's a venture bet. And so if I do that, I can only allocate 10% toward that Wow. because it's not the core. Like right now we're in our core you know, regions and our core offerings. It's not adjacent to the core. This is a whole new idea, a whole new venture bet. And so I don't get any leverage doing that. And so as a result, I would be very cautious and, you know, and initiating a project like that and funding it. And I you know, I'd look at the time and the allocation of, as such and make the decision accordingly. So mm -hmm. I have a number of frameworks that I utilize to make decisions, mm -hmm. having been involved in, you know, highly scaled, highly transactional environments as I have, I have to rely on my principles, my practices and my frameworks mm -hmm. to be able to make sure that the decisions that I'm making are the right decisions. Mm, that's so good. What is alter call? Alter call, we help people alter their lives to answer their calling. Wow. And so, you know, when you alter your life, making small alterations, you know, you make the space necessary for you to be able to fulfill your soul's purpose and answer your calling. Wow. And so it's my mission to equip leaders and entrepreneurs, which are leaders, with the tools and technology so that they can be more efficient in their pursuits. Wow. How long have you had that? I've been working on it now for three years diligently. Okay. Do you, how does that look? Do you have events? Do you do one-on-one? Um, I have 30 full-time employees right now, a number of coaches. We serve tens of thousands of entrepreneurs. Uh, closely, I serve about 200 myself with myself and my team of coaches where we're literally helping them transform their entire businesses. So variety of different industries, dealing with a number of different issues. Most of them are generally in crisis when they come to me. Okay. And in this day and age, there's so much of it out there with recession and inflation and supply chain and the bubbles that are bursting all around us in crypto and NFT. A number of entrepreneurs are coming to me and saying, we don't have it all figured out. I need help. Yeah. And so we focus on really two approaches. The first part of it is self-mastery related practices. And then the second part of it is business mastery related practices. So that way... The entrepreneur can can withstand the entrepreneurial roller coaster that we're all going through in this, you know, these uncertain times. Yeah, so many people need the help. Yeah, I've sat in many rooms. Yeah, <laughs> where it's like, what do we do? People are living in fear, all that stuff. What advice would you give someone that is going through that? Well, the only antidote to fear is faith. Mm. That's it. And so, anytime I see someone having fear in the system you know, I, I try to take them closer to their faith. And mm. I'm not here to preach my specific faith. Any faith will do. Yeah. You just have to have faith. And if you have faith, I can work with you to develop, you know, the 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 other remedies to things like fear and, and self-doubt and 
worry and regret and shame and all the lower vibrational energies, but they, the one requirement to work with me is faith. Wow. So do you walk people through like what that looks like? I mean, I would love for you to talk about it. I'm a believer. I am the woman I am today. I tell people when they're like, how are you so confident? I'm like, it's because I have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. I'm like, if I don't have that, we're a hot mess. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes we're a hot mess anyway, but (laughs) you know, so what does that look like? Like, I want to know what does it look like when you wake up in the morning? Like, how are you exercising your faith muscle? Little, sometimes I got little bags underneath my eyes. Yeah. I'm a little tired. I'm working harder than ever. You know, at, at Vistalis, I had two highly talented uh, co-founders. And then I had also a great investor that was very talented. So, you know, we split it pretty evenly. So, like, at best, I was responsible for, say, 20, 25% of the workload. And now that I own, you know, Alter Call and it's, it's my baby, I'm responsible for a significant, you know, 75, 80% of the workload. Although I have a great team, yeah, it's still a lot of responsibility at this stage. So I wake up at 4 a.m. Um, I'm working on an average of about, you know, 12 to 15 hours a day, okay. like more like 15. And I make time for my son. I make time for my workout. Like these are non-negotiable. Right. So. I, um, I meditate every morning for an hour. I for take an a, hour? Yeah. For an hour. First thing I do is I take a nice hot salt bath in the morning. Yes. And I meditate for an hour. Okay. I start my day from a relaxed state because I used to start my day very stressed. And when you infuse stress into a project, the project is just filled with stress. And everyone touching it is going to experience the energy of stress if I wake up and I greet that project with stress. That's right. So I, I wake up in a state of relaxation and I pick up my momentum as I go. So I start as neutral and as relaxed as I can. And then I build momentum one conversation at a time. But my first actions are always self-love oriented and growth oriented. So I spend the first three hours of my day in contemplation, meditation, prayer, reading, uh, writing and growth. And then, and then also working out. It's generally like around three to four hours. Yeah. You know, and then from there, I've won. No matter what happens that day, the day has been won. I've accomplished my growth objectives and I'm not sacrificing those things in my life. Yeah. So aside from the productivity of my meetings and the team that I've uh, been so blessed to serve and and surround myself with, all of that is going to produce great results on its own. And so I show up every single day grounded. And, and knowing that I've grown today. And then from there, the cumulative of, you know, days in a row of doing that is really where you start to get compounded growth and momentum. Mm. So like right now, are you working on an existing business? You're growing a business. What does it look like in your life right now? Well, I, so Alter Call is my, my 100% of my focus, but yeah. we have technology. We serve hundreds of different clients in a number of different industri- industries. And I'm very intimate with our clients. So I'm working in telecom and healthcare and a variety of different industries all over the map. And so I, I do get to pick and choose uh, in our private client program. I, I'm now blessed to be at the point where I have so many customers that I have to turn down business. So yeah. I get to pick and choose the projects that I really want to work on and the ones that stimulate me and excite me. And, and it's a privilege and a pleasure to be on those boards and involved with those executive teams. So the work that I do externally brings me information, understanding, and key insights that I then bring internal to my team. And then we execute and implement in the team. So I have a very talented team of people and it's growing each and every single day. I'm literally, you know, expanding Alter Call faster than any other company I've ever 
uh, built in my life. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. How do you develop good team culture? I focus on culture. I'm very intentional about culture. Culture is your, in essence, culture is an esoteric thing. But if you really get it, you know, get focused on it, it's the cumulative behavior of the group. Mm. And so in order to shape the cumulative behavior of the group, you have to recognize positive behavior. First of all, you have to define positive behavior. And then you have to recognize that positive behavior. And then you have to reprimand negative behavior. Okay. And you have to then get the group to nurture itself. So it's not just you with your clipboard out constantly giving people points and demerits all day long. Dictatorship. Right? right? Yeah. You know, they're going to get, you're going right. to get old very quick. Yes. And they're going to start not listening to you. I've kind of done that. So you have to empower them to nurture the culture and to hold each other accountable. Mm. And one of the things that I do every single week, and I did it today, is I have a one hour culture call with my entire team where we go over the wins, we go over the, the areas and opportunities for improvement. And then we talk about the week to come and I do it with the entire team. And we talk about culture every single week. Culture is my highest priority in building this company. Most entrepreneurs will say, oh, I'll work on culture when I have like 100 employees. Exactly. You work on culture when you have five people because mm -hmm. it's easy. When, once you have 100 people, it's a nightmare if that culture is not defined and it's not actually operating in such a way where it's a pleasure to actually show up to meetings and do business with your colleagues. Wow. Yeah. So it, my culture got away from me at Vicelis because I wasn't intentional in building it. I had no idea what I was building and how to build it. Many of my mentors would tell me, Ryan, focus on culture. And I thought, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. you know. And now looking back at it, I realized that I could have, I could have uh, had a lot less stress and you know, created a lot more value in the world. How do I put yeah. my energy and culture early on? And in order to do that, though, you have to operate life at the highest level of standard and responsibility because you can't demand people honor deadlines, communicate with impeccability, be responsible and responsive. Right. You can't demand people treat each other with mutual respect. And all of the, the attributes that I've just mentioned, if you are not doing that yourself. That's right. And so to really effectively move culture, not only do you have to be a leader that is willing to confront negative behaviors and resolve conflict and own up to when you're wrong and when you make mistakes. And, and it, once you're able to confront that, then you can demand of others to do the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always say you got to look in the mirror every single day. Yeah. You know, what's leadership to you? It's example. Yeah. yeah. And, and to me, I pride myself on being a fatherly figure. Mm. You know, I want my team to see me as the father of this movement. And I'm the father of, of my son. And so all of my leadership skill sharpening is around how do I become a better father? And the father that I want to emulate the most is not my earthly father, father because he wasn't very skilled at the subject. God rest his soul yeah. in peace. Uh, I try to emulate our heavenly father. And I ask okay. myself, you know, how would God look at this situation? And how, how would the creator um, shape this individual's character so that they are more pure, more conscious, more integral in their way of being? And so I do my best to try to emulate the creator and channel the creator through me oh. as I develop and, and nurture my team. Oh my gosh, that's, that's so beautiful. Yeah. That, what, what an answer. Thank I you. mean, gosh, if we all had that level of consciousness and had that I mean, it's, it's like pure love comes out of you. Thank you. You know, it's so great. Yeah. When, when a team member does something, you know, despicable and that happens often, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I love that you're emotionally feeling this with me. 
uh, you know, it, ha it happens often. I've had people show up to work on drugs and I've had people show up to work hungover and not honor their commitments. You know, I, I say to myself, because there's times where I've done that in my life too, I say to myself, how would the creator handle the situation? Mm. And then I try to walk in and be that fatherly figure, let them know they have let me down, they've let the team down, and then I'm here to support them and here to help alleviate their suffering. Mm. Because that's what compassion is. Compassion yeah. is the active alleviation of suffering. Mm. And when a person's suffering, it's my duty to actually confront that, right. to try to help them release that heaviness and that burden. And that sometimes means that they're not going to be working with me any longer. And the best way that I can alleviate their suffering is by letting them go. Yeah. It's because the creator will disconnect, right? You know, okay. if you're not pure and you're not moving in the right direction, you will feel the absence of God in your life. Yes. And that's how you become tuned in to the presence of God yeah. is once you've felt the absence of that's God. That's right. Preach. So that's, <laughs> that's how I try to lead and yeah. teach my team. Yeah. Wow. That's such great advice. Thank you. Have, is this in your book? The next one. Okay. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's patterns of God. When I go back and read my old books, you know, I talked a lot about my faith in God and yeah. God has always been active in my life. And I've just come to the conclusion now heading into the second half of my life that the whole purpose of my journey, the adversities that I've gone through, the highs and the lows is all to better understand God mm. and better understand my soul's role and my purpose. Yeah. And so having done a lot of internal work, I now have a clearer picture on what that looks like. And so, mm. you know, my daily job is just to, you know, put a brick in the foundation of altar call. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of five, 10, 15 years, hopefully I'll be looking at something that's beautiful. Absolutely. Motives matter. Yeah. I pray every day for God to use me and speak through me and to advance the kingdom. And, yeah. and I just know that if I live that way, everything's going to work itself out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like this peace. And when I feel like when you can build a business in peace and live in peace, it's like you just have a higher frequency and more comes to you and through you. And it's just so beautiful. Well, service is a frequency. Yeah. So when you are in the, the state of servitude, much like in the Bible, King David would pray in the state of servitude. And so when you pray in that state, when you operate in that state, you are truly connecting to the creator. And so that is a frequency as you just described it. Yeah. And now the key knowing that is to evaluate yourself and look at any time that you are not operating in that frequency. And there's plenty of them. Plenty of them. Right? Yeah. Traffic. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, yeah. you know, and looking at yourself and saying, okay, here's some times and some opportunity for me to actually make some adjustments philosophically or make some adjustments to my language or the way that I'm taking action so that I can be more in alignment with that frequency. Those, mm. those fruits of the spirit are a frequency mm. and there's nine of them. And so we should embody all nine of the fruits of the spirit. And the more that we do that, the more that we are, we are able to make the impact that we're capable of making. So good. Oh my goodness. You know, I was going to preach here today. No, I love it. I love it. I'm so excited. So Thank good. You. Tell me a little bit about your son. His name is Reagan. He's the light of my life. Yeah. He's 13 years old. He is uh, going through changes at 13 and I have the beautiful blessing to be the father to him that I didn't have. I lost my dad at 13. I never saw him again. And so as my son is starting to grow and, you know, turn into a young man, he's starting to have young man conversations and thoughts. And I get to be there and be that sounding board for him. And I, you know, it's such a blessing. I, I pinch myself 
because there's times where, you know, I'll, I'll say something that hurts him and I'll ask him for forgiveness. You know, I, I didn't have that environment with, yeah. with my son. There's times where he might let me down and, and I've taught him, I forgive him. And I have an opportunity to teach forgiveness and to teach true love at a very young age and uh, help impart values and faith and leadership onto him now mm. over the next five years. Really, that's my main mission is to equip him as best as I possibly can so that when he is ready to leave the nest, he has the tools necessary to go on and be the leader that yeah. God has called him to be. That's so good. How do you figure out how much time to spend? Is it like throughout the day? I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs who are parents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like the struggle that they have is like, how much time should I spend? I'm trying to build these companies. What does that look like for you? Well, I have his, his room is right outside my office. Oh, sweet. He's hearing everything. I ask him to make decisions with me. Wow. I tell him, you know, here's how much money came in. I show him the accounts. I show him the met metrics. I show him um, dashboards. I teach him negotiation tactics. I'm totally utilizing this business opportunity as a classroom opportunity for him. There is no separation between my business and, and him. You know, he, uh, he was learning disabled. He uh -huh. suffered from autism the majority of his life. He no longer does by the grace of God. Wow. And he's behind in school as a result because... The first nine years of his life were spent dealing with this tragic illness that he was suffering from. And so, you know, I'm equipping him to be an entrepreneur. We talk about the type of businesses he wants to start. We, he negotiates me better than any human being this ever has. This is so awesome. I'm telling yeah. you, he finds ways to get me to buy video game points, unlike anybody's <laughs> business. Yeah. That's so great. Oh, my gosh. You are fabulous. Thank you. What's next? What's, what's coming up for you? There's really nothing next. It's, yeah. it's, it's to continue each and every single day growing at the fastest, most accelerated pace that I can mm. for as long as God is willing to have me on this earth. Mm. What advice would you give to someone listening to this that's like, I just don't know where to start, like what to do? What do I do? How do I start? Start in prayer. Okay. You know, first, the most important thing we can do is adopt a prayer ritual. When I went through my personal awakening, which was a dark night of the soul, the thing that I leaned on the most was prayer. And there's a reason why every story in the Bible has, you know, this common thread of prayer yeah. within it. And so start with prayer, regardless of your faith, prayer and meditation are the key ingredients to being able to make the changes. You can rewire your brain. You can change your personality. You can change your character. You can change anything about you. You can change your identity. You can change anything about you. All you have to do is concentrate and have a focused effort on that. Mm -hmm. And the first two ingredients are prayer and meditation to do so. It's so good. Rewiring your subconscious. I came from a single mom abuse. Like if you would look at how I grew up, I should have been, could have been on drugs, but just making all the mistakes. But instead it's like I decided to commit myself mm -hmm. to growth development, changing it all. Like, and that's just one decision. That's what I always want people to know. You're one decision away, one decision away. What is a man like you? Like, how do you figure out who to even be friends with? Like, obviously <laughs> you've developed this massive name. You have so much. I mean, even before you came on the show, like I told a few people and they're like, oh my God, <laughs> I mean, you have such a beautiful reputation oh, and I know it takes years to build that. 
you know, but now like, how do you fill your cup? Like, how do you decide to, who to be friends with even, you know? Um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly seeking new friends. Yeah. I, I like friends that are going to fill up my cup. I like people that are masters of different arts and different skills. I, I don't just hang around the same people. I think the mistake that I made in the direct selling environment that I lived in was I became too concentrated on one pool of individuals on one topic. I wasn't diverse. So I didn't have friends outside of yeah. my, my group. And so everybody was work related at all times. And so now I have friends that are you know, uh, violinists and classical music composers. Mm -hmm. And I have friends that are artists. And, you know, I, I covet the relationships that I have now. I didn't before. Growing up the way I did, relationships had no real value because people would come and go. I was abandoned. I didn't even really have a strong relationship with my own parents. So yeah. How could I be expected to have a strong relationship with anyone? Now that I've lost a lot of relationships, I've done some damage to relationships. You know, I've 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 experienced what it's like to to need friends and not have them. I've also not been a friend when people needed me. So yeah. I don't want to point any blame here. Yeah. I now covet relationships, and I'm very intentional in them. I've actually dissected it into five levels of trust that I have in my relationships. And I intentionally take people through the levels of trust in order for me to fully develop friendships with them. And part of that is like, I want to get everyone to level five, but not everyone is capable of getting there. Not everyone is capable of setting and honoring boundaries. Not everyone is capable of, of adding value as opposed to constantly seeking value. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's capable yeah. of getting to level five. So I no longer expect everyone to get to level five. And if I see that, you know, they're really only capable of being at level two at this stage of their life, then I, I love them and I keep them in buckets yes, too. And then right. I seek to find someone that I can take to the fifth level, which is, you know, we are in it for each other. We don't care about what each other makes or each other's accolades or fame right. or anything. If, if I'm having a tough time, they're going to show up regardless. Mm -hmm. And if they're having a tough time, I'm going to show up like that's the level five. And you'll only have a few people that you can develop to that level. Right. And knowing that every friend you should evaluate and say, you know, do we have a plan to get there? Can we get there? Do we both mutually want to get to that mm -hmm. highest level? Or is this a superficial arrangement that we're both engaging in? And if so, that's fine. Right. It doesn't mean that they're bad. It just right. means that we both know what this is. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you, you know what it is. It's you're good with that. Yeah. But yeah, I call it an equal energy exchange. Yeah. And the few of them that you have, it's like ride or die. They are like your soul. Like you yeah. can, yeah, you can ride to the mountaintop with, but you can also be at the bottom with. Those are the best. Yeah. Yeah. You have to develop those. And you do. I have a few relationships that I would, you know, I would say are at the highest levels of trust. And, mm -hmm. you know, I would love to have a handful. But, you know, at the end of our lives, when you get to 45, you start thinking about this. I just turned 45. You're 45? Yeah, I'm 45. Okay, what's your, are you a biohacker? No, no, not at all. I just, what? Yeah, meditation, I guess. But <laughs> when you get to 45 years old, you, you start to say, at the end of my life, I'm going to make a series of conclusions. And knowing that, you can say, well, what would be some conclusions I don't want to wind up with? At the end of your life, you'll say, I wish I would have spent more time on my health. Mm. I wish I would have taken better care of my hygiene. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Mm. I wish I would have spent more time in nature. I wish I would have read more books. Like you'll say, I wish I would have. Right. And so at 45, at the halfway point or wherever you are, knowing what these conclusions are likely to be, 
you can make some halftime adjustments and say, well, I'm not going to get to 80 and say that. And this comes into play a lot as entrepreneurs, because if I dedicate everything I've got to my company and I give nothing to my soul, I don't fill up my cup in other ways. I'm going to be upset that all I'm doing is giving other people money. When I'm 80 years old, I'm just going to be handing other people a bunch of money That's and right. saying, I wish, you know, for them to go live life yeah. and wish that I would have actually lived life. So knowing that, you know, there's a trade-off there. It's like, how much, mm. how much energy do I put into maximizing my wealth is a very important trade-off mm. into, you know, uh, um, because conversely, I can put a lot of energy into maximizing my health. Right. And so I want to be able to spend the energy wisely in both categories and know at the end of my days, I'm not going to be upset about it. Mm. But I'd be upset if I had a billion dollars in the bank and I didn't see the entire world and enjoy every memory I could with my son. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is deep. That is profound. Thank I you. think it's like this moment where everyone should just look at their actions and look at how they're living their days. I got to a point like that in my life where I was like, what is all this worth? Like you're manic. This is so not cool. And your cortisol levels are out of whack and you're treating people like crap. And I went through all that as well with like, you're not a good friend. Mm. How do you expect to have good friends if you're not a good friend? You know, it's just this awareness. And isn't growth beautiful? That's an awakening. Yeah. Uh, What you've just described when you look at the old you. And this is the hero's journey that you've just described. Yeah. You know, this is your archetype. This is why you have this couch here. This yeah. is what you're doing. And it's amazing. And, you know, I want to acknowledge you for your contribution to the world, Thank your service you. to the world. And the fact that you're just describing that you looked at the, you know, the, the version of you and you said, that's not who I want to be. That's a, that's a separation that occurred. You separated from your old self. Mm. And now you have new wisdom to bring back to the world that's operating the same way you used to, Wow! you know, because you're most qualified to serve the person that you once were. That's right. And so that's what you're doing right now. Wow. So good. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do and who you are and your grace and your love. And you're such a great role model for men as well, like, and women. But I just look at like so many men, they, they need a guy to look up to that is both that soft, but strong at the same time and like you are like doing it you're living it and i'm here for your journey every step of the way i'm like i know i was cheering you on from afar before you know but now i'm really cheering you know yeah where can people connect with you find you uh you can catch me on altercall.com it's a-l-t-e-r-c-a-l-l or you can get me at Instagram. I'm at Real Ryan Blair, and yeah. I do get involved in the DMs there. So if people reach out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I can have conversations yeah. once in a while. Yeah, and he puts out the best videos. Like your stuff is quality content. Thank you. Like DMing it to people. Are you? I yeah, yeah, yeah. So you. good. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you. And being my my new friend, oh. I appreciate you. Thank you.